people of the book on 101.9 high fm this is 101.9 high fm and we have an absolute thrilling interview we have joining us over the line from the savoy hotel in london greg herwitz he's the author of the orphan x books he is a person who is no stranger to Chai FM. He was in our studios last year. He's the author of 18 adult novels, two young adult novels. He's a screenwriter. He's written scripts for TV series, including the second series of V. He publishes academic papers on Shakespeare. He hangs out with CIA operatives, Navy SEALs, Marines, and he is ours for the next 20 minutes to half an hour. Welcome, Greg. Thanks for having me on. I'm going to ask you just to refresh our listeners' um, r- r- uh, their, their, their minds. If you could just please introduce yourself in your own terms and in your own words. Introduce myself? Yeah. Well, um, I am a novelist. I screenwriter. I do some TV. I also wrote comics for a while, including Batman, which was a great deal of fun. Um, and I'd say the only thing I ever wanted to do was be a writer. I mean, from when I was 10 years old, I was writing mysteries and illustrating them with crayons. And so it's what's, it's been pretty amazing uh, for me to be able to have the chance to do this full time. Uh, I started my first book when I was 19 years old had a lot of success uh, and a lot of luck, I should say, uh, when, I was, when I was young, so I never had to have a real job. I went straight, finished school, studied English and psychology, because uh, I thought it would be the best combination to be a novelist, and, um, and, and kind of was able to get right to work, doing the thing that I love doing more than anything else, which is writing books. And the last four years uh, has brought me to my new character, Orphan X, which I'm sure we're going to talk about some more. There's so much more to you than just Orphan X, but I suppose you're on a, a publicity tour for Out of the Dark, which is the fourth Orphan X book. So we must probably going to spend, you're going to be spending the most, most of your interview time talking about this character. Can you remind us about Orphan X, Evan Smoke, who he is and how he came to be created? Well, Orphan X, uh, is, is, is my main character, and his name is Evan Smoke, and he was taken out of a foster home at the age of 12 and raised in an off-the-books program by the CIA to be an assassin, to be a government assassin. So his whole life he was taken uh, and, and trained to be an operator, and he came up in the program, and at a certain point the, uh, the moral complexities of that job got too much for him, and so he flees the program, uh, and, and becomes uh, what I call the nowhere man. Uh, he becomes somebody who is an assassin for pro bono, to help people who are in desperate need who have nowhere else to turn. And I'd say the first three books in the series bring us to the doorstep of Chapter 1 of Out of the Dark, which, which can be read by itself as a standalone uh, also. But Out of the Dark is the biggest thriller I, I, I've ever written. I mean, it took me 20 books to get here to be able to write something of the scope. When I was growing up, uh, one of the seminal thrillers for me was The Day of the Jackal, which is amazing. And and this is sort of an homage to that, except in this instance, we're rooting, Orphan X is going after the very corrupt president of the United States, and we're rooting for him to be able to get through all the security uh, and take him down. And so, like I said, it's, it's, it's the biggest concept and the biggest book I've ever written. In a nutshell, what is the premise of Out of the Dark? 
Um, well, that's what I just described, which is that he's going to take down the corrupt president of the United States. Um, what we realize is that when Evan was a young operator, when he was carrying out his first missions at the age of 19 uh, on, on in foreign land, you know, going places that the U.S. government isn't allowed to go and doing things they're not allowed to do, the then Undersecretary of Defense was a man called Jonathan Bennett. And in the years since then, he's risen to the most powerful position in the world. You know, he's, he's the president of the United States. And Evan has, he doesn't know what it is, but there's something from an early mission that puts Jonathan Bennett at risk as the president of the United States and he needs Evan eliminated. He's killed countless orphans. He's killed people closest to Evan and he's tried to kill Evan too. And this, this is really the story of the ultimate nowhere man mission, which is Evan Smoke taking down the most securely guarded human being on, on the planet and seeing if he can get to him. So much of the book is so well researched. There is the security detail of the American president, Jonathan Bennett, and just the, the details that you, you list in the book, the White House, the, the presidential car, the way that the food coming in and the air being breathed is, is all, it's, it's all analyzed. How did you find all that out? And just elaborate a little bit more because it, it, this level of security blew me away. Oh, yeah. I mean, if anyone ever looked at my uh, my Google search history, I think they'd be knocking on my door. They'd come take me and throw me in Guantanamo Bay at this point because I spent a year digging into all this stuff. Um, and, you know, look, I have friends. A lot of the contacts that I get, they, they proceed a bit like mafia introductions. So if I need someone in the Secret Service, say, I'll call a friend who's a Navy SEAL who will call, you know, a, a guy who, in the CIA who he wants to join op with, and maybe that guy was roommates once with someone in the Secret Service. And they have to vouch for me, you know, that I'm trustworthy. And then when I have the conversations, um, you know, the people who I want to talk to aren't the ones who are eager to talk. You don't want the ones who are big storytellers. You don't want the public information officer, uh, you know, for an agency. You want the people who've actually done stuff and who are a little bit wary of sharing it. And so it's a really about establishing trust with these individuals and, and, and for them to feel comfortable enough to start to go on and off the record. And to trust me that if, like, you know, I, I, I worked with a demolition breacher, you know, and any time that I design an explosive for one of the books, we'll kind of blue sky brainstorm it, and then at the very end he'll say, okay, well now let's go back and change two things because we don't want to provide a how-to guide. You know, so so... In these conversations, it, I have to be able to have them share things more more openly, but they also have to be able to tell me what things I can and can't say and, and trust that I will do that. And so the research for him to get to the president, I spent the first months just assembling all this research. It's, you know, you, you, you highlighted a lot of what it is, but, I mean, it goes on and on and on. I mean, the, the doors of the presidential limousine weigh as much as the door to a Boeing 747. So there, there, there's so many ways that the president is, is and his security around him is impenetrable. And so, you know, when I was done doing all this research, I felt like this tiny figure staring up at the wall from Game of Thrones, figuring out how the hell I was going to climb it and how I would be able to figure out having my character start to navigate and run this gauntlet of security measures. And so it was pretty stressful uh, to do all the research and see how hard that this mission was going to be. And all that research goes into creating scenes that are, that draw 
that jaw-droppingly, I don't know, filled with adrenaline. You must actually be quite, quite a sicko because you put this poor character, Orphan X, Evan Smoke, into situations that no normal person or not even a, a, a dark ops operative would be able to figure a way out. But you, you, you place the constraints one after the other until he's got almost like no mo- room for, for maneuverability. And then you just let him work his way out. How do you, first of all, how do you come up with these scenarios? And, and, and how do you research them so that when he does get out, it is so realistic? Well, I'm, I'm glad that you say that. I mean, you know, somebody, one of the jobs of being a writer is to really paint yourself into a corner and then figure out how to write your way out of it. And so a lot of times the impossible scenario comes first, and I'm not even sure of how he's going to get out of it. And it's stressful. Um, you know, so it's, I'll get to a point where I, I just think, God, there's, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it. And I have to really give a lot of consideration. And, and that's part of what happened with this book. I was looking at how amazing the security detail is. And in a lot of ways, you know, he, Evan Smoke has these different missions helping people in need. And this is the biggest one. And I, I had a couple days there where I, I wasn't sure I would be able to pull it out and make this something that was believable and, and make it that, that he would get his way to figure out how to, how to, how to get to the president, how to get close to the president, all these things. I have to just sort of trust that it's going to come. But it's not just the idea of the president. It's, there are, I can't count how many scenes where you've just put Orphan X against, uh, beyond the precipice. And again and again and again. I read Greg Hurwitz to see how he, how he can dream up scenarios for, for, for Orphan X to get out of. And for me, that becomes what more can someone think of? How many more ways can an author move his mind in these directions that you coming up with scenarios that no one's ever thought of before? Constraints, and it's, well, that's the aim, I suppose. I mean, my head's always worked that way. You know, I've always thought in stories, and so it's that's what I'm. I'm always kind of masticating on that as I'm sitting around, or if I'm on an airplane. I'm, it, it's just the, the only way I, that I've been wired to think. And so, you know, a lot of that is me figuring out what what sorts of scenarios would be really compelling and thrilling. And I always want to bring to readers something they've never seen before. So, um, and so I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that. You're very successful in that. But something else which is really so enjoyable in the book is your very wicked sense of humor as well. There is, I'm in education during my day job when I'm not interviewing best-selling international best-selling authors. And there was a scene that's on page 175 Evan Spike is sitting through uh, a, a, a school presentation by the by the by the, the headmistress, and this is what you say: Evan had once sat a sniper post in a tree in Sierra Leone for 15 hours without moving. He'd lain in wait beneath the bridge in Kirkuk, sipping from a camelback, eating protein bars, and pissing on the same spot on the wall for three days. But this, and he's sitting in the PowerPoint presentation, this was actually going to kill him. (laughs) I think you've got parental experiences sitting in school PowerPoint presentations down to an absolute perfect uh, joke. 
Oh, well, thank you. I mean, it's funny. I think one of the things that people relate to with Evan is they took an archetypal character, the kind of characters that that we all love, you know, and, and that we grew up with, but I put him in the real world where you and I live. And and, and I think that's part of it is he's really a character who is in search of his of his humanity. And so, you know, one of the things we don't get to see is we don't get to see James Bond go home. We don't get to see Jason Bourne have an awkward encounter with the elderly Jewish lady who lives, you know, in the same building with him. And so th- there's a lot of opportunity for not just humanity and emotion to come in those scenes, but also for a lot of humor because we're not used to seeing the, the types of, of, of heroes that, that are like, that, that he's in the mold of or that, that, that he you know, shares the shelf space with interacting with the ordinary world. And so there, there are opportunities to find humor in that, which I always love playing with. We're in conversation with Greg Hurwitz. He's the author of 20 books, 18 adult thrillers and books, two young adult books, novels. He's joining us to discuss his book, Out of the Dark. It's the fourth Orphan X book. We'll be back in conversation straight after this ad break. People of the Book on 101.9 High FM. This is People of the Book on 101.9 High FM. Greg Hurwitz, international best-selling author, the man who's given the world the great reading gift of Orphan X, is joining us. Greg, you've become a public intellectual in America. You, you've got a close relationship with, with Jordan Peterson. You, you learned by him at Harvard. You also talk about American politics quite a lot as well. And now you have published a book where the target of the assassin is the American president. How do you answer the obvious questions that you asked about your, you know, your views on American politics? Well, I mean, I've made my views clear in, in, in different settings. I mean, I will say with the book, I've been building to this story, you know, all the way through the Orphan X series. And as much as Out of the Dark is a book that can be, you know, can be a jumping on point for new readers just as its own big standalone book. You know, I had this in the works long before Donald Trump had thrown his hat into the ring as a presidential contender. So, I, you know, I don't want the books to be a direct reflection of something that's happening in society because one of the aims is that we want, uh, you know, I, I want the the books to feel somewhat timeless. You know, and if I tie something too closely to current events, um, it's just not going to age very well. You know, especially in with the way the news cycle is now, that if you're 20 minutes late to something on Twitter, you've practically missed the whole news cycle. And so there's a real um, timelessness in the books, I hope, that, that I don't pin it down to, to specifics in those ways. It, it, it is timeless, even though it's, it's extra topical, but it, it is timeless. And something else that the book does do is that it brings along characters from the previous installments of the Orphan X story. I always look forward to renewing my reading acquaintance with Mia and Peter in the same build, who live in the same building as Evan. And then also, I actually enjoy when we meet one of the other orphans, Candy McClure, who is such a brilliant orphan creation. She, she, she adds something to the book that Evan himself couldn't pull off by himself. And I look forward to these renewed Friendships, because I or, or associations with these different characters—they're they're powerful and they're real. 
Well, thank you. I mean, I think one of the things that's great with a series that, that, that doesn't happen with other books is it's sort of like we get to return to visit a friend who we're familiar with. You know, there's a sense of returning to it. And as Evan keeps progressing in his quest to reclaim his humanity, I think of the Nowhere Man missions, each one is like him getting a tiny piece of his soul back. And as he's, as he's continuing to figure out, you know, the human side of himself, uh, he's, he's, there is a community that's, that's being built around him and that's, that's being put forward. And so I think that's a big part of the book, too. And another part of the book that also anchors it into the real world is your settings. You, you obviously have set a lot of the book in Washington, D.C. You can't focus on the American president if not in the capital. I remember when I was in Washington, I enjoyed the time that I spent in the International Spa Museum. And there you set a great scene in that museum. And I can picture every single thing that you talk about. You also talk about the, the museum. I haven't been there, but it did become uh, a, a destination that whenever I'm in Washington again, I will go see it as well. You've really anchored the reader, not only in, in a novel, but in, in the world and in these places that a lot of your readers actually have been to. Yeah, well, it's an important part of it is, is doing, you know, I always, I don't, I don't skimp on research. You know, it's very important to go to the, to these locations, to go out in the field, and I never know what telling the tales I'm going to pick up. And so it's part of why I've done such extensive research. You know, I've gone up and stunned airplanes, I've snuck onto demolition ranges with Navy SEALs and blown up cars, um, I've gone undercover to mind control cults, and I want to make sure that I'm always going to and encountering all these things so that I can write them in a way that ideally gives the reader a front row seat to the action. Well, you give us more than a front row seat because the action never stops, and we're there and we're experiencing it. And as I said in this case with the International Spa Museum, a lot of us have actually been there. It brings me to, you've mentioned archetypal characters. In, in broader mythology and pop culture, how do you see your contribution with your character, Orphan X, joining the pantheon of archetypal characters? Well, you know, when I was first writing Orphan X, I was thinking about writing it, I was pretty scared because I wanted to make sure that I could create someone who is worthy of his own spot on that bookshelf, right? And the Bible that I kept returning to again and again is a transcript of a conversation between Lawrence Kasdan, George Lucas, and Steven Spielberg when they were developing Indiana Jones. And it's really a, a how-to guide of how to create an amazing, memorable, three-dimensional character. And I kept going back to that because I knew that if I was going to do something, I didn't want it to just be a knockoff of Jason Bourne or James Bond or Jack Reacher or these other great characters who we know and love. And I think the point that I really seized upon when I figured out what to do with him is there's a line that Jack Johns, who is Evan's father, father figure and handler, and he says to him when he's 12 years old and he's starting to train him to be an assassin, he says, the hard part won't be making you a killer. The hard part will be keeping you human. And that piece, that, that struggle that's within Evan, um, and the fact that he is one of these archetypal characters who lives in the real world, as I said earlier, where you and I live. He has those same experiences. He has those same overlaps. Are the two aspects, I think, that, that, that differentiate it and that give him his own spot and position in that conversation. We're in conversation with Greg Hurwitz. He's the author of the Orphan X books, among many, many other things. What I find so interesting 
Greg, is that not only are you a major contributor to pop culture uh, with your comics and with your TV series script writing and with your thrillers, but you also published you've also published scholarly works on Shakespeare. Well, I did a master's in Shakespearean tragedy, um, and it was mostly to stall while I was finishing a very bad rough draft of my first novel. Um, and, you know, I studied Shakespeare because I just loved him. I mean, I didn't have a, a motivation beyond that. But looking back on it, it's really clear I focused on the tragedies, that those in some ways are perfect little thrillers. I mean, they're very convention-bound, highly structured tales of lust, intrigue, and murder um, that were designed to appeal to the broadest possible audience. Uh, and so it, it's funny that, that the work that I did in that field wound up having a bearing on on the writing that I do. Uh, it makes perfect sense looking back at us. And it, 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 it's, it's, it's so interesting that what we view more as, you know, thriller writing in your mind and in the creative process is connected to Shakespearean tragedies. It's, I suppose, there's an organic process that's happening within you that writing and researching Shakespeare can give rise to aspects of Orphan X. That's correct, yeah. Last time I interviewed you, we mentioned, but very much in passing, that you ha- you are also the author of two young adult novels, The Rains and Last Chance. When you were in South Africa in May last year in 2018, these books weren't published yet in the UK and in the Commonwealth countries. But I actually have them on the desk in front of me right here. I've received review copies. Can you just talk a little bit about these young adult novels? And would it be correct to assume that if you've read and you've really, really enjoyed and loved the Orphan X books, that The Rains and Last Chance should be on your reading list as well? Yeah, I mean, and I have a lot of adult readers too. I mean, my protagonists are... um uh, 15, 16, and 17. So obviously it's for, it's for, it's for kids and young adult readers, but I have a lot of adult readers too, cause we, you know, we, we all love young adult fiction. If you think about the Hunger Games, you think about some of these books that have come out that have become sensations, and the readership goes all the way up and down. So that's, that's number one. So I got the idea for the reins, um, from uh, there's a spore in nature that creates zombie ants, and it, 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 the spore floats around, and then it lands on an ant, and it hijacks its brain, and it makes it march to the tallest um, strand of grass, and and its, its abdomen swells up, and it goes and climbs up the tallest strand of grass, clamps its mandibles on it, inverts itself, and then it explodes, and it spreads spores that then infect other ants, and the process starts over again. And they're called zombie ants. You can find them on YouTube. They're amazing to watch and to see this process. And I just thought, wouldn't it be so interesting if there was an infection, like an alien invasion? Let's say that it's an infection of of some parasitic creature. And instead of having, you know, ships come down and land and all of that, what if it just sent something down that created these spores and it turned all the adults into something else? That was that was like the zombie ants, and it was something that happens only to people over the age of eighteen, and so that's a that's a phenomenon that comes and infects infects the world, and it's up to a small group of of, of kids to to save the day, and they have to do so. There's a ticking time frame. There's a ticking um, um, clock, 
because the minute that they turn 18, they too are going to be transformed by these spores that exist in the air. My main character is called Chance Rains. His older brother is Patrick Rains. And, um, and then Patrick's girlfriend, who is also Chance's best friend, the three of them get along really well as Alexandra. And so the three of them are sort of the ones who among the children survivors that were following them and how they're going to take this on. And in a weird way, it's like my, um, it's almost like a walking dead for young adults. Uh, it's got similar overlaps with that TV show. I've got them on my desk. I wanted to ask you about them. I'm going to go home and I'm going to start reading them because you've sold me on them. I just don't know how one person can amass so many unbelievably interesting and bizarre facts, but then these facts become building blocks for your novels like the zombie ants, or they become tiny little building blocks for the elaborate structure that creates one thrilling scene in an orphan X novel. But an awful an orphan X novel will have a climax that is built on so many of these facts. And you're just putting them together and you're just constructing that the architecture is stupendous. But you're using the most unbelievably interesting facts to construct your to, to construct your narrative. Uh, I'm in awe. I'm in awe. Uh, another question I want to ask you is when you were in South Africa last year in May, you weren't talking about your next Orphan X novel, but there's no ways you wrote that and had it published in between getting back to America. So chances are it was already on your editor's desk and it was in the editing process already. So the, the question is, is there a fifth Orphan X novel that is already sitting with your editors at Minotaur or at uh, Penguin Random House UK so that in a year's time we could be having a conversation about it? Yes, we will. And that's what I'm working on now. I'm editing the next Orphan X book. And making sure that I have, you know, all the, all the, all those parts bolted down that you were referring to and making sure that it, that it reads as well and cleanly as it possibly can. So I'm always writing, even when I'm flying, traveling in hotels, uh, it's always part of my schedule. But in my mind, when I read the second Orphan X book, I just thought, there's no ways you can top this. And then the third one came out and I was reading the third Orphan X book and I thought, wow, this is just the moment, this is the Magnus the magnum opus of a writing, you know, thriller writing career. But then there was number four. I have no idea which way you're going to take Orphan X. I can't wait to get a book in my hand sometime early next year so we can see how your wicked imagination has put Evan Smoke into some devilishly difficult situation that miraculously he'll escape from. It's, and I, I, live, I live in anticipation, absolute anticipation for that for that moment. Well, thank you, and I'll 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 come back to South Africa, and we'll hang out, and we'll have that conversation. Uh, we're out of time. I have to thank you so much for your time, so much for you know, giving us a shout here in South Africa. You're on a very very busy schedule while you're in the UK. Thank you so much, and an even bigger thank you for writing for keeping us informed, entertained, and thrilled. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me on, and thank you for, for reading. If it's not for my readers, this would all just be one big exercise in self-indulgence. So, you know, I owe, I owe the fact that I get to do what I love to all, my, to all my readers and the people who support me. So thank all of you. Thank you.